Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome, and I'm so glad that you are here at River's Edge with this brand new series called The Good Life. And then we are going to be examining what the good life is as defined through the sacred scriptures. And of course, we have our own understanding of what that good life is and what we would love for that good life to be like. Often when we talk about increasing our capacity for the good life, we're looking for ways to upgrade. And all of us have been in some form of rethinking and reimagining, even maybe even reshaping what our future is going to look like during this long, long COVID season. We've made changes that we believe have somehow improved our lives or maybe somehow or going to show the kind of future life that we are going to be able to experience by making specific changes in the areas where we believed we needed them most. And sometimes when we can't make the changes we want, we make the changes that we feel we can make. And those micro changes can have macro influences in areas that we didn't plan for. Making a small change in one area can have a big effect in another. We sometimes just go for the juggernaut. We go for the big change. We decide we're going to get into a new relationship, a new job, a new city, a new way of just doing and experiencing life. And we do those things because we want so desperately to experience the good life. It's about living a life that is fulfilled, a life that is meaningful, a life that satisfies us. And we can sometimes become desperate enough to make desperate decisions, take desperate actions so that we can stop living a desperate life. So when we talk about the good life, what comes to mind for you? Is it mojitos on some tropical beach? Maybe a healthy, long life that is debt-free and financially stable? Uh, Your children and grandchildren are all seated at your table. Time to finally focus on your hobbies or that hobby that you have just neglected because you just never have time with all the roles and responsibilities. You're finally able to do that passion project, that thing that you have just always had your mind and heart on but just never had the time or the resources to dedicate towards it. What about traveling the world to some exotic place with a loved one or your favorite sports car finally in the garage at your disposal for whenever it is that you want to take it out for a spin. What else comes to mind for you when you think about the good life? 
It's amazing how when we think of the good life, we're often thinking about upgrading. It seems like wherever we are, whatever level we're at, we look at that and we say, this is just not going to cut it. We need to go to the next level. And that next level can mean different things for different people and obviously means something else for each of us that are thinking about this right now. But it's important to always consider what does God mean when he says that he has the good life to offer us? What did the scriptures say about what we should be thinking about as well as to the things that our mind and our heart, our plans generally gravitate towards? And can we confront those things in a very constructive manner using also the spirit of God and the wisdom of God to make better decisions? I think so. And I think that what God wants us to do is to bring him into our lives and help us understand how we can have a newfound perspective on things. So in other words, it's not that the things that we're hoping for or wanting or desiring that we can't get those things because the Bible does talk about him giving us the desires of our heart. I, I can't be sure what those desires are in light of what God will give you or me for that matter. But I do know this, that he is ready to surprise us. He's ready to gift and reward, multiply and bless. He's ready to do that which is beyond our thinking beyond our imagining. And so I wouldn't limit God, and I certainly don't want to limit you and limit what you imagine the good life to be. But if we can complement that today, and if we can complement that over the next few weeks, I think we would have a more comprehensive understanding of what the good life actually is. And I believe that when you bring those things together, uh, we are going to experience a great blessing in return. So let's get right into it. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 to 12, let me read to you this beautiful scripture that describes how we can experience the good life by having these key characteristics that will transform us from the inside out. And it says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly and sisterly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, so that this that you were called to do, you will also obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, then let him and her keep their tongue from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good instead. 
Let them seek and pursue it in all of its forms. For the eyes of the Lord are always on those who desire to live righteously. And his ears are always open to their prayers. But in the face, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What a beautiful passage of scripture. How uplifting, how encouraging. It points out what we need to do to experience the good life. And so over the next four messages, we are going to look at the compassionate life. We are going to look at the humble life. We are going to examine the loving life. And then we're going to conclude with the blessed life. But today, we're going to focus on the compassionate life. I think you may have heard this word once or twice before, compassion. I think that you may have been asked to be compassionate. I think that you may have been reminded of how you weren't compassionate enough towards someone or something that had occurred or was happening or just that your heart just didn't feel very merciful at the time. I think about how there are so many needs around us all the time. And when people talk about like giving and being generous with their time and with their resources, we tend to go towards the things that we have the most compassion for. Those things that naturally tend to touch us. And that's why there's so many people who are there for animals. They believe that protecting and providing for the safety and the well-being of animals is what they are most compassionate about. And, and that's wonderful. It's great. We need people like that. There are people who have compassion towards other cases and causes and widows and orphans or just situations around the world, maybe because they're linked to it culturally, maybe because they identify with it. It's, uh, it's something that they are deeply concerned about themselves, and so they have great compassion for the plight of those people and individuals or situations that they may be in. But what does it mean to be compassionate for the things that we don't care about? But the things that are on God's heart instead. I mean, what does it mean to have an overall compassion for all the things that God is asking us to be compassionate for? Do I even have that kind of emotional bandwidth to care about all the things that God cares about? Can I possibly give my time to all of this? And can I possibly even provide in the resources that would be needed to be able to accomplish this. I'm overwhelmed just thinking about what God may be asking of me in terms of what it is required of me in terms of compassion. So let's take it one step at a time. 
and understand that when God talks about being compassionate, he's talking about three specific things as found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 in particular. And so we're going to start there. We're not going to get overwhelmed. We're not going to look at this from a viewpoint that we cannot handle, but we will look at it in terms of how Peter is breaking it down for us so that we can understand how we can apply this in our everyday lives. And the first thing that he brings to our attention is that being compassionate means being unity and experiencing unity of mind. Now, unity of mind means that we are being harmonious. It means that we are being peacemakers. It means that we are avoiding conflict. It means that wherever conflict is found, we are going to bring peace. That as much as it depends on us, we are going to do whatever it takes to be compassionate and therefore be harmonious. Being unity, having unity of mind means being harmonious. And that means that you're going to be a person that is not self-willed. A person who's not always demanding their own way. You're not going to be the kind of person that judges those who don't go along with your point of view. You're going to be a team player. You're going to think about others as much and more than you think about yourself. You're going to consider and favor different opinions and perspectives. You're going to accept people the way that Jesus does. You're going to look at them the way that Jesus does. You're going to be harmonious with people the way that Jesus wants you to be harmonious with them. I want you to know the difference between the absolutes that the Bible says cannot be changed, and then the gray areas where he gives us flexibility of opinion and approach. And to know this is so key, it's so important. And this is where the contention would often arise with the religious leaders in Jesus, because Jesus actually provided flexibility in areas where the religious leaders believed there were none where there was none. They said, no, you can't be flexible on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, if, if one of you has an animal and falls into the ditch, who's not going to like pull that animal out of it? And then when they talked about when they would eat food, they would say, Jesus, why do you and your disciples, you know, not wash your hands before you eat? And, and, and Jesus just simply said to them, it isn't what you put into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of it that reveals how you're unclean. And over and over again, the, the religious had these rules. And, and, and what Jesus was doing was that he was showing them how to be harmonious with people. How, how to show the difference between absolutes and then the gray areas where there was flexibility in terms of interpretation and application and participation and and what Jesus was doing was that he was telling them that there were things that were essentials and on those things you needed to have unity there were non-essentials 
and in those things you could have liberty. But then there were some things that he said, and he clarified that it was like all things, you need to show love. You need to show love. You need to be loving. And so when we think about unity, we're thinking about the difference between these three things. The things that are essential, the things that give us liberty, and the things that are always understood and shown and applied and conversed about with love. If we can do this, we can experience harmony. We can be harmonious with others. We can have unity of mind with someone else. We can be compassionate the way that God wants us to. We have to give people time to grow. That's a big one, isn't it? Like sometimes we're so impatient with people and we feel like we've given them enough chances, enough opportunities. Thank God Jesus doesn't think like that. That he keeps giving us time to grow, to come into our own, to come into a place where we are more like him. Thank God that he doesn't give up on us. Where would we be if that were the case? The second thing that we read in this passage in Peter in chapter 3 is that to being compassionate, we also have to be sympathetic. And there's a beautiful verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In other words, we have someone in Jesus who is always compassionate towards us because he is sympathetic. In other words, he has entered into what we are feeling because he has had the same feelings. He understands what we are going through because he has gone through them himself. So because of this, he is sympathetic. And that's another important aspect of being compassionate and another part of experiencing the good life. Like when you know someone and you know what they've been through, your level of compassion is automatically higher. But what if you don't know them? What if they're a complete stranger and you hear their story, but it somehow resonates with your own story? It speaks to you about the things that you've gone through. Even though they're a stranger to you, you are automatically compassionate towards them because you sympathize with them because you've gone through it yourself. And in fact, you say those words, I've been through this. I can sympathize. I understand what they're going through because I've had to walk in those very shoes. We enter into what others are feeling when we are sympathetic. Whether we have had a similar experience or not, we are willing to journey with that person to understand what it is that they are feeling and to allow those feelings to become our own. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. And in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 15, it says rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Which means that we are to allow the suffering of others to touch us and to impact our own emotions. That we are to be sensitive to how 
they feel and that this has a direct impact in how we feel. That we are to do everything that we can to make those persons, that person, feel loved and accepted in the same manner that Jesus does. Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who does. Jesus is that way, and he's saying, I want you to be this way. You want to experience the good life? Then become a person who is more compassionate. The third thing that is highlighted is to be tender-hearted. To be tender-hearted means to be kind. It means to have a kind heart. It means to be kind-hearted. In Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as one like God in Christ also forgave you. The idea is to have deep inward feelings and genuine concern for the other person. That there is this emotional element and this reactionary element to this word. And so we're not just supposed to feel something, we are supposed to act that something. We are not just supposed to feel compassion, but we are supposed to act compassionately. God wants you to be tender-hearted, to be kind-hearted, because he doesn't want you to just feel it, but he wants you to do something about it. It's about how we must react, about the things that we can do. It's about being like the Samaritan who stops for the injured on the road. It's about being like Jesus, hanging on a cross. And in spite of the evil that's been targeted towards him, he is able to say to all those, on that day, and for every day, for every generation, till the end of time, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus doesn't just have a tender heart in that moment, but he acts on that tenderness with forgiveness. He offers compassion to a level that the world has yet to see replicated in any other leader or religious person ever. What God does in the person of Jesus on the cross is what we are saying when we take up our own cross and follow after Jesus how we also want to be. Lord, I want to experience the good life. But I know that the good life, the way that you want to bless my life with, cannot happen unless I learn to be compassionate this way. Unless I learn how to have a mind that is harmonious. Unless I learn how to be a person who is sympathetic to others and a person who is tender-hearted. I know that People are made to feel a certain way in our presence. And what God wants you to be reminded of is, is are people feeling 
and experiencing your tender heart? Are what they experience through your actions and through your reactions an indication of the good life that you've been given, of the good life that God wants you to keep living? It's what they know to be true on our behalf, regardless of the circumstances, that in our presence, they will always be met with tender-heartedness because you genuinely care for them from the innermost part of your heart. The good life is about being compassionate. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us this good life, that you would give us this blessed and long life as you've described it in these verses. Thank you for each person that is watching and experiencing this gathering together. I pray, Lord, that we would take these characteristics and apply them in our lives so that together we can experience this good life. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.